can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 11. So as you know, we've been coming through the Gospel of Matthew together. And today we're at Matthew 11, verse 20 through 30. Under the providence of God, this is where he has his church today. And I'm going to read this passage. And we're going to pray and ask the Lord to help us. That the Holy Spirit would speak to us through his word. And if you think about it, you're coming, we're coming through this gospel together. And what's the main thing that, that, um, that the Lord's doing through this book? And he's showing us Christ. He's showing us Christ. Look, this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus is like. And so this is, this is what we want to ask the Lord to do. To help us to see Christ clearly from his word. Let's read it and then we'll pray. Matthew 11, starting verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these words. And Lord, we know that there's so much here about our Savior, about Christ. And Lord, we want to know more and more and more about Him. Grow us, Lord, in the knowledge of Christ. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see wondrous things from your law. 
Lord, we might put together facts. But unless you move in power, unless you help us this morning, Lord, we miss all the beauty and all the glory that's found in this text of Scripture. So please, God, help us. Please help us. God, we praise you that you have helped us so many times before. And we claim that, Lord, Ebenezer, thus far the Lord has helped us. Thus far, God, you have helped us. And we ask for that again this morning. Give us light from your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this text can be taken in four parts. And I'll give you those quickly. They're there if you have a study guide. You can see them right there. Uh, Number one, we have a pronouncement of judgment, which is verse 20 through 24. Uh, Number two, we see a prayer of praise to God as Jesus turns his attention to the Father, and that's in verses uh, 25 and 26. And then he moves on from that prayer in verse 27 and gives a proclamation of his authority. It's verse 27. And then lastly, in verse 28 through 30, we see a plea for sinners to come. A plea for sinners to come. So let's start with this pronouncement of judgment, which is verses 20 through 24. It says, Then he, that's Jesus, he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. He began to denounce these cities. To denounce them means to publicly declare that they are wrong or evil. Uh, Other versions say he reproached these cities, or I think the King James says he upbraided these cities. And so Jesus is being presented to us in verse 20 through 24 is he is the denouncer of whole cities. He's pronouncing judgment on whole cities in this passage of Scripture. Now, this is a pronouncement of judgment. We see it in verses 22 and verse 24. If you look at it, it says the day of judgment. It will be more bearable in the day of judgment. It will be more tolerable in the day of judgment. So this is a pronouncement of judgment from God on these cities. Now, there's many people in the last day that think that they will be exalted in the day of judgment, but they will be brought low. And that's exactly what he says about Capernaum in verse 23. It says, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? They thought they would be. And he tells them, You will be brought down to Hades. So this is preaching from Jesus about judgment. He says, Woe to you! Woe to you! Those are curses. He threatens them with an intolerable hell. Now these are hard things that are said by Jesus. But we've got to reckon with it. Jesus said it. Jesus preached things just like what we just read. And it ought to cause us to think about the day of judgment. Brothers and sisters, there is a day of judgment coming. And if you believe that, that there's a day coming where he'll, he, will, he will judge the nations. And he'll divide the sheep from the goat. And there's those that will go into everlasting life. And those that will go into everlasting punishment. If you believe that, it changes the way you live in this life. 
I think it was Leonard Ravenhill that said, five seconds into eternity, five seconds into eternity, you'll wish so much had changed about your life. But what we can do right now is think about eternity. Think about this day of judgment that is coming, that he's warning these people about in this pronouncement of judgment. Now, it's clear from this passage, verse 20 through 24, that there are going to be varying degrees Varying degrees of punishment in hell. There's going to be varying degrees of the the harshness and the severity of punishment in hell. Think about what it just said right here. Why does it say that Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, these cities where Jesus had done mighty works, why does it say that their punishment will be more harsh than Tyre and Sidon and Sodom? Well, what Jesus said is, look, I've done what this is the place where he's done most of his mighty works. Most of his revelation, most of his mighty works were done in these cities. And Jesus said, if I would have done those mighty works in these other cities, these other notorious cities like Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. But you didn't. To whom much is given, much will be required, it says in Luke 12. Right before the, that passage, it says that there's some that will be punished with many stripes and some that will be punished with lesser stripes. There's different degrees of punishment in hell. Now, the reality is, is no one's going to enjoy hell. It'll be eternal torment, as it says in Revelation 20, 20 verse 10. Eternal torment, torment day and night, forever and ever in the lake of fire. So hell is enjoyable for no one, but in some sense, it will be more severe, more harsh for those who have had more revelation of Christ. I've done all these mighty works in these cities. It's going to be more bearable for Sodom than it is for you. And I just want to take this as a moment just to to use this warning in our lives as a way to be sort of a persuasive warning. And I know this might not be true for everyone sitting here, but more than likely, if you're sitting here today, you have had so much revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of who God is. You've been in this church. You've heard the preaching of God's word. You've heard a sound gospel. And maybe you've heard it your whole life. And so listen to me. This applies to you. This applies to you that if you've heard the gospel again and again and again and again and you've received so much more revelation than so many other people have, if you die in that state and you do not repent, hell will be more severe for you. Romans 2 says when we reject this gospel, we store up for ourselves wrath in the day of wrath. That's just a reality. When you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you hear the truth about Jesus, you either believe on the Lord Jesus and you're saved, or you reject it and you store up, Romans 2, more wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. Be warned by that. And be persuaded to come to Christ if you're not in Christ. Now, second... Verse 25 and 26, we see Jesus turn to a prayer of praise. Now, I want you to notice how he makes this proclamation, but notice in verse 25 and 26 how he turns his attention to the Father. And in these two verses, he begins to pray. Let's read them. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. See him praying there? 
I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. It's a prayer going up to God. Now, it starts off with at that time. So these passages are connected. This pronouncement of judgment, woe to you, Capernaum, this pronouncement of judgment, and this prayer to the Father are connected. And it's really important that you understand the connection of this whole passage. Well, this is one way where you see it. It says, at that time, he begins to pray. And notice he addresses God in this prayer. He addresses God like this. He addresses his Father like this. Father, Lord of heaven and earth. There's this intimacy of he's going to his Father. And this would have been unique for people to hear someone pray like that. Did he just call, did he just lift up his voice to God and say, Father? Did he give that intimate relational term to God? Father? And then he says, Lord of heaven and earth. Now Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, 12 that this is how Christians are supposed to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father who art in heaven. He's our Father. He's the intimate one and yet he's the glorious one, the high and transcendent, exalted one. And this is what we see Jesus doing here. Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And it's a prayer of praise because the next phrase says, thank, or excuse me, right before that it says, thank you, Father. Thank you. That thank you there is the same as praise you. Praise you, Father. This is worship. This is praise. This is thankfulness to God. So I want us to think about this for just a minute. When you read through this prayer, verse 25 and 26, what is Jesus praising the Father for? When you read verse 25 and 26, what is Jesus giving thanks to the Father for? He's giving thanks to Him because He's the one that hides and reveals. These things, it says, these things that bring people to salvation, these things that bring people to repentance. Remember the, the paragraph just before, right? And He says, thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and, and intelligent and you've revealed them to little children. And, and, and Jesus is praising the Father for this, that the Father reveals these things to little children. Little children, that's a reference not just to an age gap. That little children is a reference to the humble, to the needy, to the lowly, that those that see their need, they know that I need to be taught by this one. I'm ready to listen. Later on, Jesus is going to say, take my yoke and, listen, and, and learn from me. Little children are ready to learn from him. Matthew 18, verse 4. It says, whoever becomes like little children, unless you become like little children, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You must become like little children, meaning what? Imagine this little child, completely dependent completely in need, this little baby that can't survive without mama and daddy, this little humble child. Well, you, know what, you know what the father loves to do? Reveal himself to little children, the humble. And Jesus is praising him for this. Also, he's praising because the father hides these things from the wise and the understanding. That's those that don't think they need any help. I don't need to learn from Jesus as he's going to call in just a minute. I don't need to learn from him. I'm wise and I'm understanding and I got it. I have no need. It's the prideful. It's the arrogant. And the father loves to hide these things from the prideful and from the arrogant. Now notice 
Notice how this relates back to the pronouncement of judgment passage. If you go back into the pronouncement of judgment passage we read just a moment ago, why does Jesus denounce these cities? Why does he denounce these cities? Because they did not receive him like little children. No, they were the wise and the prudent. Remember what Capernaum said? I will be exalted to heaven. It's the wise and the prudent. And he says, no, you're going to be brought down to Hades. He didn't reveal himself to them because they did not come to him like little children, but like the wise and the understanding, the intellectual. Now, it also says that Tyre and Sidon, it says that if Tyre and Sidon and also Sodom, if the miracles that were done in these other cities would have been done in these, these old cities, Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, if those miracles would have been done there, Jesus says they would have repented. So why didn't he do them there? Why didn't he do those miracles there then? Because they're the wise and understanding, the arrogant. They didn't come to him like little children. So I want you to think about verse 26. That at the end of Jesus' prayer, Jesus says, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Father, this is your gracious will. Other versions say it like this. For, for such is your good pleasure. Or, 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 yes, Father, this is what you love. This is your good pleasure. This pleases you, Father. That's the idea. Such is your gracious will. Is, this is your good pleasure. Okay? So I want you to think about that for just a minute. What was the Father's good pleasure? What, what, according to these two, these two verses, what did the Father love? What was the Son praising the Father over? What did they love? What, are they, what is the Father and the Son rejoicing in? In verse 25 and 26, they're rejoicing in God's sovereignty to hide and reveal the things needed for repentance. They're rejoicing in the sovereignty of God over the salvation of mankind. Brothers and sisters, do you, is that your good pleasure? Do you praise the Father for His hiding and His revealing? Do you, do you praise Him for that? Does that bring joy into your heart and worship into your heart that He is sovereign over salvation? And He grants repentance. If you think about every single person here who is in Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ Jesus here today, if you are saved, then that means God had to bring you to this place. Revelation 3.17, Jesus rebukes a group of people saying, you are rich and you're, you got everything. You think you have need of nothing. And you don't realize that you're poor and blind and pitiful. And see, the Lord had to bring every single one of us that are in Christ to this place of realizing that we're not in need of nothing, that we are poor and blind and pitiful. And from that place, as God brings us there, of seeing that we are little children that need to eat from the Father's hand, he reveals the things that are needed for salvation to us. And this is something to praise Him for. This is something that the Father and the Son are rejoicing in in this passage. Now, number three, let's look at this proclamation of authority. Verse 27. All things have been handed over to me. So notice, he's not praying anymore. 
This is just a proclamation of the authority of Christ. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now I want us to consider that phrase. There's so much packed into that phrase. Jesus proclaiming who He is and what He's like. There's so much packed in that I want us to divide it up into three parts. Okay, So first would be all things have been given to me by my Father. Second, no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. Third, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So let's take it in that way. So number one right here, all things, Jesus proclaims it, all things have been given or handed over to me by my Father. Now why does He make this proclamation? Why does He say it right here after this prayer? And I want you to think about what went before. Jesus just stood up and denounced entire cities. He threatened hell over entire cities. He said it's going to be worse for you in the day of judgment than it is for Sodom. He just declared that and then he went straight to his father, addressed him intimately as father, and and spoke as if he knows the will of God. He knows the will of the father. Now you imagine somebody standing up and saying, hold on a second. Where did you get the authority to speak like that? Jesus, where did you get the authority to denounce judgment on all cities? Where did you get the authority to talk like this to the Father? And Jesus answers like this. All things have been given to me by my Father. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Now he's also prepping us. Because that last phrase we're going to get to, Jesus is going to say, and the only people that know the Father are those that I I choose to reveal it to them. So again, how can you say that? Because verse 25 says it's the Father that does the revealing. If you glance at it. But then Jesus says in verse 27 that nobody knows the Father except those that I reveal it to them. So who's doing the revealing here? The Father? Is He doing the revealing? Or the Son, is He doing the revealing? And at least one answer to that question is this first phrase. Everything, everything, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. That sounds an awful lot like Matthew 28, verse 19, doesn't it? Jesus, the resurrected Savior, stands up and He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I want to just share a couple other verses that do this this same sort of thing. John 17. You don't have to flip there unless you're fast. 17 verse 1 and 2. Listen to this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given to him. Did you hear that? Authority given to Christ. In this working together, the Father and the Son in salvation. That the Father has given these ones to the Son and the Son has given them eternal life. All things given to me. By the Father. I want to read another one. 
This is John chapter 5. Beautiful, high, and exalted stuff about Christ. Verse 19 says, So Jesus said to them, listen to this about Christ. Learn about Christ right now. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son. And shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father, listen, as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given, think about our verse, has given all judgment to the son. That all, and this is a massive statement. Massive statement. Imagine standing there before a man and hearing that this day. Listen. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Can you imagine a man standing in front of you? Worship the Son. Worship me. Honor me. Glorify me just in the same way that you glorify the Father. Massive statement. He goes on to say in verse 20, there's a couple more verses here, verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him, the Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So I want you to think about that for just a minute. All this talk about all things have been given to me by the Father. And, and, and no, one, no one knows the Father unless I choose to reveal Him. And, and also, uh, honor the Son so that you might honor and worship the Son in the same way you honor the Father. You've got all that talk going down about who? About a man. Jesus Christ, yes, he is truly God, but he's also a man. A man is standing in front of them saying this thing. Flesh and bones, a real human is standing in front of them saying things like, everything has been given to me by my Father. This is massive, massive stuff going on here. You imagine, imagine being there that day and hearing these claims. Now, second part of this this verse, he says, no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son. Now, that's a sweet, you know, sweet little uh, uh, insight into the nature of our God. Our God is a trinity. Our God is triune God. OK, there's only one God. There's three persons, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. So there's three gods, right? No, there's only one God. The Scripture is plain on this. There's only one God. It's a, it's a mind-blowing mystery here. And here we've got these words that there's this relationship. What, what is the relationship between the persons of the one and only God. Now even that question's mind-blowing, right? 
just to even have to frame a question like that. What is the relationship between the persons, like the Father and the Son, of the one and only true God? What is the relationship? And what it says here is the word knows. No one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Now, this is obviously not a factual knowing, because surely some people knew some facts about Jesus, right? They knew a few facts. They, they can know a couple facts about Jesus. And Jesus had family where they would have known a lot of things about him, humanly speaking, right? So what we're getting here in this word, knows, no one knows the Father except the Son, no one knows the Son except the Father, is this intimate knowing, this glorious, intimate knowing, this love relationship between the Father and the Son. That's what it said in John 5, 20. We read it just a moment ago. It says the Father loves the Son. And this has been going down since eternity past. Think about all of humanity right now. All over the world, even amongst people that completely reject God, guess what humans all over the world experience? They, they experience intimate knowing, this love relationship with other humans. You know why? You know why that's happening all over the world? Look at it like evidence. You know why it's happening all over the world? It roots all the way back to our God is three in one. And there's this love relationship, this intimate knowing between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we humans are created in the image of God. And the reality is, is whether you reject that God or not, you can't help but image your God. And therefore, you have these relationships in your life. That's rooted in... God himself and who he is and what he's like. Now think about this. This beautiful triune relationship. No one knows the Father except the Son. No one knows the Son. This beautiful relationship. And Jesus, the God-man, puts himself right into the middle of that. He says that love relationship has been going down from all of eternity. And Jesus puts himself right in the middle of that. All things are given to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father, except the Son. Now humans, all of us, we are separated from this kind of intimate love relationship with God. We can't know God. Why? Because of our sin. Our sin, Isaiah 59, 2 says, your sin makes a separation between you and your God. He hides his face from you because of our wickedness. And when you think about that, your heart cries out, Oh God, I wish there was a way that humans could enter in to this love relationship between the persons of the Trinity. Oh, that a human could just enter in. And that brings you right to your next phrase. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And, next phrase, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Oh, church, worship Jesus Christ. You mean there's a way in that rebellious sinners that have rebelled against God can enter in to this sort of glorious, knowing relationship with God? You can know God? Yeah, if the Son chooses to reveal Him to you. There's a path into this, and it's only through the Son. I want you to think about how glorious that phrase is. Do a survey of planet Earth. Do a survey, okay? The, the, the way is, is broad, it's wide, the gate is wide, the way, the way is broad that leads to destruction and many go that way. 
And then the path to life, eternal life, is narrow and it's difficult and few people find it. And do you understand this? That every single person in this room that knows God, I mean like you're in a relationship with God, saved by, saved by Jesus Christ, every single person that knows God in this room and every single person throughout all history all over the planet that has ever known God, entered into that relationship with God, you know what it's rooted back to? The Son chose to reveal it to them. And that's what this phrase says. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. Now this proclamation that Jesus gives in verse 27, you know, I'm trying to give you a taste of it. But I want to encourage you to take it home and get on your knees and worship the Lord Jesus Christ for every, every little nugget about who he is in that, in that little proclamation, that little verse. It's glorious stuff. Now, fourth, verse 28 through 30, we see a plea to sinners. So verse 28, Jesus is going to turn now. He's given this proclamation. Now he's going to turn. Verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now again, notice the connection. It's really important that you connect this whole passage. Notice the connection of this plea to come to the rest of the passage. Jesus has just put himself forward as the denouncer of whole cities. Jesus has just denounced whole cities and, and threatened them with eternal hell. He's just done that. And then he says, everything's been given to me by the Father. And those that know God are those that I choose to reveal. And then next phrase, next phrase, come to me. Isn't that beautiful? That little turn, you got everything that we've said so far. And then this little turn at the end, come to me. Come to me, all you weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your souls. Come take my yoke. Come learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You'll find rest for your souls. Come to me. It's a beautiful term. Now, verse 28 through 30, I want to sort of break it up just for understanding's sake. I want to break it up into three parts. You've got two commands, two facts, two facts that will make you want to obey those commands, and a result. Two commands, two facts, and a result. So the two commands are, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now we need to understand these commands, okay? Now he's talking to those, it says here, who labor and are heavy laden. What do these words mean? Who are those who labor and are heavy laden? This word labor means those that are weary, those that are fatigued, those that are exhausted. This word heavy laden means those that are burdened, those that are loaded down with a heavy burden. Now this is referring to a soul heaviness, a soul Burden. It's the burden of your soul. How do I know that? Because what Jesus promises, he promises it in verse 29, is rest for your what? For your soul. 
You that are, heavy, you that are, are, are weary and, and loaded down with burden, come and I'll give you rest for your soul. So what these people have is a soul burden, a soul heaviness, a soul exhaustion. Now, where does it come from? Why do they feel weary and heavy laden in their souls? Why do they feel that? We feel, humans feel that because of sin. Especially when, when the Holy Spirit helps you come out of your pride and your arrogance. You just think you're a good person. You don't need God. That's the wise and understanding. And he makes you like little children and you, and, you, and you feel this reality that there's sin on me, that I deserve to go to hell, that if God sent me to hell, that would be fair, that would be right, because it's what I deserve and you feel this heaviness of the burden of sin. Also the law of God, the law of God caused humans to be heavy burdened. Not because there's anything wrong with the law. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. The problem's not in the law. The problem's in us. And when we stand by ourselves, right alongside the law of God, oh, it's the heavy burden. You can never meet up to His standard. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. You fall short of meeting up to His standard. So you, before God's righteous standard, His righteous law, oh, it's a heavy burden. And not only that, he could be talking about these. You remember how the, we, we talked about this earlier in Matthew, how the Pharisees are laying these heavy burdens on people because they're twisting up the law to mean something it doesn't mean. Matthew 23, verse 4, it says, they, These Pharisees, they lay heavy burdens hard to bear. And they won't even, they lay it on men's shoulders and they won't even lift a finger to help them. They won't even lift a finger to help them remove this burden. So imagine this, this heavy burden because of sin, the law, or these false things coming from the Pharisees. And then Jesus says this, come to me and I'll give you rest. Jesus is the only one that can relieve the soul burden. Come to me and I'll give you rest in verse 28. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. A yoke would be something you... you you know, slip over the neck of an animal or of a slave and slip the yoke over and it helps them to carry a heavy load. Uncomfortable yoke. And because I had this yoke, I have to carry this heavy load. This word yoke is connected to slavery in the Bible. Galatians 5.1 says a yoke of slavery. 1 Timothy 6.1 says a yoke of slavery. So take my yoke upon you, he says here. Think about that. Jesus says... Come to me. What do you mean come to you? Come to me. And I'll be your master. Come to me. Come be a slave of Christ. Take my yoke upon you. And then he says learn from me. This is what it practically looks like. To come to Jesus. As his slave. It says here. Learn from me. Learn from me. Come to Jesus and be a learner. Come to Jesus and sit at his feet. Don't sit at the feet of the world. Don't sit at the feet of other others. Sit at the feet of Christ. You're under His yoke. You're coming to Him. This is what the word disciple means. Are you a disciple of Jesus? It means a learner. You're a learner of Christ. Sitting at His feet, listening to His word. Now understand the connection. Remember, I praise you, Father, that you hide these things from the wise and the understanding. They won't come learn from Jesus. But you reveal them to little children, the humble that are willing to come 
and be a learner of Jesus. Now, it's an interesting thing. This passage began with threats and proclamation of judgment because men did not repent. That's how this passage began. Threats of judgment because men would not repent. And then how does it end? It ends with a call to repent. This is what repentance sounds like. Come. This is what repentance, if you're going to repent, it sounds like this. Come to Jesus. Take his yoke. Become his slave. Sit at his feet. Be a learner of Christ. This is what repentance looks like. Now that's the commands. What about the facts? There's two facts here. One, verse 29, Jesus says, For I am gentle and lowly in heart. Fact. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Number two, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Verse 30, fact. Both of these are facts. Now, these are arguments for why you should come to Jesus and take up his yoke and sit at his feet. These are arguments for that. Notice both of the facts start with four. It's an argument. Why should you come to Christ and take his yoke? For he's gentle and lowly in heart. That's one reason. Another reason, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. These are arguments for why you should come to Christ. So let's, let's dig into both of them. Number one, Jesus is gentle and lowly. It means he is meek and he is humble. When you come to Jesus, what kind of master are you coming under? You're coming under not one that's not like any other master. He's the gentle and the lowly one. He's not like these Pharisees that lay heavy burdens hard to bear, but they're not willing to lift a finger. No, Jesus lays out a standard. And in fact, Jesus' standard is actually higher than the Pharisees. But guess what? He lifts up and he promises, I'll be with you. He'll be your great high priest that intercedes for you, continuing and helps you. He doesn't lay a heavy burden on and not lift a finger. He's gentle and he's lowly. He's not like the Pharaoh of Egypt. Remember Pharaoh of Egypt? He commanded his servants, his slaves, to make brick, but he wouldn't give them straw. Jesus didn't like that. Jesus calls us to hire things. He calls us to build a palace, but then gives us everything we need to do it with indescribable joy. So come to him. Sit at his feet. There's other masters that would take advantage of your soul heaviness, but not Jesus. No one's ever loved us. No one's ever loved you like Christ loves you. He's gentle and lowly in heart. Now the second one, second fact, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And one thing that's clear from this is you, you cannot, brothers and sisters, you cannot expect to come to Jesus without taking up the yoke. You have to come under him. You've got to sit at his feet. It's not just knowing some stuff about him. You come to him and, and you become a slave to Christ. You must put on his yoke and you must carry his load. But when you do that, you know what you find out? His yoke is easy and his load is light. He's not like other kings. Let me read something to you. This is about Solomon and Rehoboam. This is in 2 Chronicles chapter 10.
And it says this, the people came to Rehoboam, which is the king at this moment, Solomon, King Solomon's son. And he says, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us and we will serve you. Solomon's yoke was heavy. It was not light. The burden was not light. And they say, lighten the load for us. Please take off this heavy yoke. And listen to what Rehoboam, this is Rehoboam's response to the people. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Listen to me. Jesus is not like these kings. You come to him. He's gentle and lowly in heart. And you take his yoke and you take on his burden and you find out his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Now why? Why is his yoke easy and his burden light? Because every single person that comes to him, Jesus gives them a change of heart. So that yoke of obedience, that slavery to Christ, he changes their heart to where it is a joyful obedience. You love God. You want to obey God. 1 John 5, 3. It says, this is the love of God. That you keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you understand that? That when you come up to the standards of God with that old stony heart, man, it seems hard. But when you come to Christ and he gives you a new heart, you stand before those standards of God and you love them and you want to obey them. And so you obey his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Now, what's the result? What's the result for those that answer his plea to come? What's the result? It says here, verse 28, I will give you rest. In verse 29, you will find rest, more specifically, for your souls. <clears throat> you will find rest for your souls. Do you feel the burden of sin on you? Jesus unloads your burden at the cross and dies for sinners so that you can have rest in your soul. Do you feel the burden of standing before the law of God, before the standard of God, and you feel that burden of, of I, can't, I can't do this? No, you can't, but Jesus fulfilled the law for you. And he wraps you in robes of righteousness when you come to him so that it looks like in the sight of the judge that you've actually fulfilled that law. And not only that, but when you go to obey God and you, you want to you go towards his standards and obey his law, you're not alone in that. Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Jesus is your great high priest. So you can rest even while you strive for obedience. Jesus offers soul rest to everyone that would come to him. This word soul here is, is psyche. It's where we, we get the word psychology from. So Jesus is the true and only psychologist. He can give you rest to your soul. He can give you rest for your soul. There's a lot of things that are in this world that are vying for that. They're, they're, they're offering it up that they, you know, this thing over here can give you rest for your soul. This thing over here can give you satisfaction for your soul. This thing over here can, can benefit your soul. And, and look, this scripture, the only one that can satisfy your soul, the only one that can give you rest for your soul is Christ Jesus the Lord. And here's the promise. Come to me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. 
and I'll give you rest in your souls. It's a beautiful plea, and I want to encourage everyone here, don't ignore it. If you're here today, and you feel a soul burden because of your sin, because you're lost, and you know that if you die right now, you're going to go to hell. Listen to me. Jesus, the offer's there. Come. It's beautiful. The one, the, the one that pronounces the judgment, all authority has been given to him, and yet he stands in front of you now in a moment of grace and says, Come. I'll give you rest for your souls. Now, I want to do something just kind of to close out our time. Um, if you, and you might have noticed it, but if you, when you're reading through and studying through this passage, there's several things that seem like, like they're, they're, they're contrasting, like contrast, you know, almost like they don't go together um, in this passage. And there's several of those, and I want to identify three of them. And I want you to be encouraged by them. I want you to go home on your knees before an open Bible. Worship the Lord. Consider what's being said here. Let me just identify three of these contrasts in closing. One, in this passage, Matthew 11, verse 20 through 30, we see the gentleness and the severity of Jesus. We see the gentleness and the severity of Jesus. Think about this. The exact same passage, I mean in the same breath, where Jesus says, I am gentle. He says, woe to you. It's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and hell than for you. In the same breath where he claims to be the gentle one, he's pronouncing a, a judgment on whole cities. The gentleness and severity of Christ. Romans eleven twenty two says, Note then the kindness and severity of God. Note the kindness and severity of God. In our passage, note, brothers and sisters, note the gentleness and severity of Jesus our Lord. Now, all attributes of Jesus are glorious. They're perfect. They're wonderful. And yet, there's some, you know it, there's some attributes that might strike you the wrong way. They don't, some attributes of Jesus you see in His Word, it just doesn't seem to sit right with you. Well, listen, you can rest assured the problem is in us and not in Him. The problem's with us. If it strikes us wrong, if we, if we read through that first section in our passage today where Jesus is pronouncing judgment and hiding and revealing, and if that stuff seemed like it was off to you, the problem's in us, not in Him. And so we need to glory in all the attributes of Jesus. He is the gentle one, and yet there's a severity to him. He's tender like a lamb, and yet he's ferocious like a lion. He's both of these things. We shouldn't diminish either one of them. Do not diminish his lamb-like tenderness. Do not diminish his lion-like ferocity. Don't do that. Because this is who the Word of God is revealing our Savior to be. We need to worship him for all of his attributes. Now, quick, before we move to the next one, quick side note on that. We need to imitate Jesus in his attributes as well, right? There are attributes of Christ, okay, that, that we need to be Christ-like. We need to be like Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, we need to be like Jesus in his lamb-like gentleness, tenderness, and Christians need to be like Jesus in his lion-like ferocity. 
We need both of these. Now, what often happens is if there's an attribute of Jesus that seems more palatable to you, that you like, it tends to overwhelm the one that you don't like, and it cancels out the one that you don't like. Don't let that happen. Now, an example of that might be with, with the, and you could give many, but just for time's sake, one example of that would be with this gentleness idea. There's a version of gentleness floating out there in the Christian culture that has no place for what Jesus said at the first part of this passage. There's a version of gentleness that, that has no place for Christ-like confrontation or saying hard things. But we see it right here in one passage. You know, I've, I've, heard, I've heard people tell me before, yeah, 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 but you need to be careful. You know that lion-like ferociousness? You need to be careful with that attribute because Jesus is perfect and you're not and you'll mess it up. Well, that's true, but it cuts both ways. Brothers and sisters, be careful with that gentleness attribute because Jesus is, is perfect and you're not and you'll mess that one up. You understand how it cuts both ways? And so don't, we want to be like Christ. We want a form of gentleness and tenderness that doesn't, that doesn't remove this first part of the passage, of this lion-like ferociousness. We don't want to do that. And we also don't want this rebuking, and, and you know, the Scripture calls us at times to even sharply rebuke. Titus 1.13, I believe. But we don't want that without this lamb-like tenderness. These things slam together. All right, second contrast. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Now, this is amazing in this passage, okay? We see divine sovereignty. God is sovereign over salvation. And we see human responsibility. You must repent or you're going to go to hell. And all who repent and believe go to heaven. So divine sovereignty, human responsibility. Let me just... Point at it in the passage. Look at verse 27. Jesus says right in the middle, No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. God is sovereign in salvation. Why are you saved? Why do you know the Father? Why do you know God? God chose to reveal Him to you. Whoa. Next verse. Human responsibility. Come to me. Come to me. Take my yoke. I'll give you rest for your souls. You see these two things together? Of If anybody goes to heaven, it's because the Son chose to reveal the Father to you. If anyone goes to hell, it's because they didn't come to Him. Same thing in verse 25 and 26. The Father's hiding and revealing the things that bring to put people to repentance. He's hiding and he's revealing things. So if you know God, it's because God has revealed it to you. But then go back up into verse 20 and 24. Who's to blame for these people going to hell? Who's to blame? He says, because you didn't repent. Because you didn't repent. Now look, our job is to not make these glorious truths of God is sovereign in salvation, and yet there is responsibility to, for someone to repent and believe in Christ. Our job is not to try to make these things fit with our finite brains. Our job is just to believe the truth of God's Word. Just believe them both, and not only believe them, but love them both. We see Jesus doing that as He praises the Father that you hide it from the wise and understanding, and you reveal it to little children. And that's a good pleasure of the Father. Now, lastly, 
Last contrast, Jesus is exalted and lowly. So we see the, in this passage, we see the exaltedness of Jesus and the lowliness of Jesus. We see both of these things. Is Jesus exalted high? Yes. What did he say? All things have been given to me by my Father. No one knows the Father but me. No one knows me but the Father, and no one knows the Father but me, and anyone that I choose to reveal him. That is exalted to the highest place. Is he lowly? Yeah, he says it in the same breath. In the same breath, the one that says, for I am gentle and lowly. He says, everything's been given to me by the Father, and no one knows him except the ones I choose. He's exalted and is lowly. Now, that's a beautiful contrast, and just... Let's dwell on that for just a second. Who do you know that is stooped to the lowest place of humility? Who do you know that stooped to the lowest place of lowliness and humility? It's Jesus. The, think about it. Eternal Son of God. Creator of the universe. The glorious one. The one for whom all things exist. And in lowliness, he looks with compassion on humans, rebellious humans. And he enters into his own creation and he takes on human flesh. He actually becomes man. And he doesn't come as the warrior king. He comes as an infant that must be cared for by a mother. Humility. He lives out this commoner's life. And then at the end of his life on this earth, he's crucified, the most humiliating death you can die. And he's crucified on a cross so that others can live. No one has stooped this low. No one has gone from this high of exaltedness to this low of humility. He's lowly in heart. Who do you know that's gotten to this highest place of exaltation? Only Christ, King of glory. Philippians 2 says this. He's been given the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. In heaven, in earth, and under the earth. And every single tongue confess Jesus is Lord. He's the exalted one and he's the lowly one. He's the exalted one, and he's the lowly one. Now, if you only view Jesus as the exalted one, you can admire him, but you'll still go to hell. Because if he's just the exalted one, then he never humbled himself and came down low to save sinners like us by dying on a cross. If you only view him as the lowly one, then you can imitate him. You can imitate him, sure. You can be lowly like him. You can attempt that but you'll still go to hell. And you know why? Because his exalted divine status is what makes his death on the cross so valuable so that it can pay for the sin of all sinners. So he is, we see it in our passage. He's the exalted one and he's the lowly one. And it's beautiful. And just last word of exhortation, I want to encourage everyone here this passage, is, as I hope you see, is, is literally packed full of this is what Christ is like. This is what Jesus is like. This is what, he, this is what he is. This is what he says. Please, you've heard me say it twice already. Please, go home by yourself. Open Bible. 
on your knees, reading through this passage, just worshiping Jesus for who he is. That would absolutely change your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. Lord, if it was not for your word, we would have no idea who you are, Lord. We would only know enough to condemn us to hell, but we would not know enough to be saved. So God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for sending your son to die for sinners. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people that know our God in deeper and deeper and deeper ways. And God, I pray that the more we know Christ, the more we know him, the more we worship him, Lord, that we would become like Christ. Make us a people who are full of Christ-likeness. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.